Great to see you guys here. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you guys being here. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks so much for being a part of our services. Let me say hi to our, our Padre Island campus is being swarmed with spring breakers right now. Uh, we love you guys. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you coming. And uh, I'm excited about the series we're in, The Lies That We Believe, because so many of us have fallen for lies. Maybe you haven't recognized it yet, but there are lies that we literally build our lives around without even realizing it. So I'm excited about this series. Glad you guys are here. Pull out some notes if you want. I want to give you some things to write down. And as you do that, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. Again, thanks for coming to services today. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. Can we do that? We love you guys. Grateful for you. I'm excited about today's message, and I want to give you some things to write down because we often fall for these lies. And, you know, last week we kind of unpacked the first three lies, and this week I'd like to unpack the next three lies. And the first one is pretty insidious, and uh, these are three lies that cause us to dysfunction. That, that if we begin to believe these things, it just causes us to sort of shut down. And so today I think it's important uh, to uh, debunk these. And the first lie may seem pretty simple, but it, it's a one that many of us have fallen for. It's, I'm not enough. Would you write that down? Actually, I'm not, then put a blank and then enough. I'm not blank enough. Now, uh, the scripture says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are royalty. You and I are royalty. Now, if you and I are royalty, then that means that even with whatever shortcomings we feel that we have, we actually are enough. We are more than enough. God designed us. God made us. He made us in his image. But oftentimes we focus on the one thing we don't like about ourselves. Isn't that funny how we do that? We always have some area that we just don't like. So right now, write down whatever it is that you feel like you're not enough in. We all have different areas. Maybe you feel like I'm not tall enough, thin enough, rich enough, good looking enough, cool enough, funny enough, smart enough, spiritual enough. What is it for you that you feel like you're just not enough? This should be pretty easy because most of us have an area that we, that we struggle in, right? And so I, I have a friend that uh, he doesn't feel like he's tall enough. He feels like, well, I'm just so short. I, I, I'd be further in life if I wasn't short. You know, and, and he would say, man, I'm not tall like you. And it's funny because I never, I never thought of myself as tall. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think I was tall. And uh, because I hang out with people that are kind of similar to my size or taller, so that means I don't feel tall. And so, you know, he's like, no, man, you're six foot, you're tall. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't, I never thought about that. But he's like, dude, I'm five, six. I'm short. And I was like, actually, that doesn't seem short to me. I mean, he never, the way he carries himself, it doesn't seem short, but he's, he was hyper-focused on that, right? And so some people get hyper-focused on the one thing they don't like about. Now, I'm not vertically challenged. I'm just follically challenged. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to keep hair on my head. It's actually not a hair do, it's a hair don't. It's a chia pet I've attached to my head. That's how I do that. So anyways, but, so I just did a little research for my buddy, and, I, and maybe this will help you too, about some short people that are doing all right in life. Here's a few. Did you know that Tom Cruise claims to be 5'7", but his friends say there's no way he's even that. And so Tom Cruise is doing pretty good. Daniel Radcliffe, Mr. Harry Potter, is 5'5". Did you know that? Uh, Bruno Mars is 5'5". Usher, Usher, Usher. He's only 5'7". Did you know that? And so uh, Prince was 5'3". Isn't that crazy? Yeah, the guys are like, oh, I can't get any girls. I'm sure Prince is probably doing all right in that category. And he was only 5'3". James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, was 5'4". Kevin Hart is 5'4". One of the funniest dudes on the planet, right? He has a good friend, Dwayne Rock Johnson. He says, you're like a bite-sized Denzel. <laughs> I love that. 
Tyrone Curtis, otherwise known as AKA Muggsy Bogues, played 14 years in the NBA and he was five foot three. So apparently that doesn't hold you back. And Peter Dinklage, probably one of the most famous short people, is four foot four inches. He's famous because he's on Game of Thrones. He's the fifth highest paid actor on TV and he earns $1 million an episode and he's four foot four. Please do not use that as an excuse or whatever excuse you'd fuck me so I don't feel like I'm short. Well, what area do you feel like you're short in? All of us have typically an area that we feel like, man, I just, I'm just not this enough, right? And so, but really the devil knows he can't get you by just saying you're not enough. It's too generalized. So he likes to get you focused on one thing you don't like about yourself. You're not pretty enough. You're not young enough. You're not old enough. You're not educated enough. You're not this or that enough. And so he gets you focused on one thing because if you get hyper-focused on one of the things that you feel like you're not good at or that you're short in, then guess what? You'll, you, you'll get so discouraged. Because here's the thing. The devil knows he can't take your gifts, so he tries to take your encouragement. He tries to take your confidence, and you'll never use your gifts. So he's always telling you what you're not. I remember when I first started this church, I always felt like I'm not old enough to pastor this church. Somewhere along the way, you start to think as a pastor, I'm not young and hip enough anymore. So like it reverses. I'm like, well, I wonder when that one day was that was like perfect. When was that? I must have just walked right by that one. I don't know. But I always felt like I was too young. And now I've been doing this 21 years now. I feel like, oh man, maybe, am, I, am, I, am I too old now to stay relevant? Right? And so that's just the devil messing with you. You're too this, you're too this, you're not this, you're not this. And, and so he messes with us to make us feel like we have nothing to offer, which is just, it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. You have plenty to offer. In, Gen in Genesis 1.27, it says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. He made you and he blessed you. You are a blessed creation, just like you are. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm blessed. <laughs> just let them know. You are, you're a blessed creation, just like you are. And so you don't have to get a certain way before you're gonna be acceptable to God. God already accepts you like you are. You are enough and God made you just like you are for a reason. And so this is important too, that we don't run ourselves down. And so you are a self-fulfilling prophet in your life. And so if you're always focused on what you're not, that will just stop you in life. And so you're, there's a self-fulfilling prophecy going on with the things you say and speak over your own life. And so don't run yourself down. My wife, like most women, does not think she's pretty. You know, and so she's like, oh, I'm, just, I'm old and I need to lose weight. I'm not pretty. And I always tell her, quit running down my wife. Do you think I want to be married to some woman who thinks she's old and not pretty? I was like, quit running. And then I'll tell her this. I said, do you want me to believe you? Do you want me to just buy into what you're saying? She's like, well, no. I'm like, then quit saying it. Like, don't run yourself down. Are you trying to convince me that you're old and out of shape and not pretty? You want to convince me of that? She's like, well, no. And I'm like, well, then don't say that about yourself. I said, quit talking bad about my wife. And so we have a tendency to run ourselves down. And so we gotta see ourselves in the right light. God thinks we're beautiful. God thinks we're smart. God thinks we're sharp. God thinks we're all that and more. He made you. And so you know what he did? He says here in the scripture, he says, I wanna use you. You're chosen to, to do what? To display who I am. The scripture tells us he wants us to proclaim the excellencies of him. In other words, you represent me. So just here's, think about this. If Nike went out and said, we want one person to be our spokesperson, if they picked you, you'd feel pretty good, wouldn't you? If Apple said, you know what? We want you to be our spokesperson. We just think you're sharp. You're what we're looking for. We want you to be our spokesperson. You'd be like, wow, man, I must be a big deal, right? I mean, it make me feel great, right? And so God says, I want you 
to be my spokesman where you work. I want you to be my spokesman in that high school. I want you to be my spokesman at that refinery. I want you to be my spokesman on the base. I want you to be my spokesman in this history moment, in the world, in this community, in this city. You're my spokesman. I choose you. Wow. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a spokesmodel for God. Let them know right now. That's what I am. I'm a spokesmodel for God. Right? And so that's what God says in the scripture about you. People, some people have all kinds of excuses for themselves. Some people say, I, I don't have enough education, right? I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. So I did a little research for you too. Here's some people who are successful with no college degrees. You ever heard of Steve Jobs? He's a college dropout. I think he did pretty good in life. At the point of his death, he was worth $10.2 billion. Uh, if you budget right, you can live on that. And so... <laughs> It's pretty unbelievable how he did with no college education. Michael Dell dropped out of the University of Texas and started Dell Technologies. He's now worth $23 billion. Ellen DeGeneres went to the University of New Orleans and dropped out. She began to do odd jobs, side jobs, and she began to do comedy in very small clubs where no one knew her name. And one day she finally got her break. Johnny Carson, back in the day, brought her in, and she and the rest is history. Now she's the queen of daytime television, worth $400 million. Uh, you ever heard of a guy named John D. Rockefeller? He hardly has a high school education. And before he died, he started a little company called Standard Oil. Before he passed away, in today's terms, his worth would have been $340 billion. Hardly had a high school education. It's incredible. So apparently the whole, well, you know, I don't have, I'm not smart. I don't have a degree in this and that. That's ridiculous. And by the way, if you're so hung up on not having a degree, then just go get your degree. You know, if that's really that big of a deal to you, then just go get it. We're not trying to down education. There's nothing wrong with having education. But just don't think for a second that that's like the key to life. If that's the key to life, then why is over 20% of Harvard graduates 10 years later are living paycheck to paycheck? I mean, I thought that was supposed to be the creme de la creme. You know? I was surprised how high the percentage of Harvard graduates were on, um, on government assistance. Shocking. The point is this, is not, I'm not trying to run down Harvard. My point is, is that that's not really the key to life either. Please don't think for a second like, oh, if I just had my education, then everything would be great. Really? There's a lot of people that have degrees that would tell you, well, it's not that great. Like, I mean, I'm glad I have it, but it's not like the key to my whole world. That's just an entry point. So my point is this, is that oftentimes we always have something that's our fallback. Well, I'm not this enough or I'm not that enough. And so we use that as our excuse to not go for it in life. Don't let something hold you back like that. That's ridiculous. So whatever you say you're not enough of, God says you are enough, you are more than enough. I have a friend, Mike Bullock, who goes to church here. Him and his wife, Angie, run staff here. He's a great guy. He runs uh, our, our small group, our, our life groups across all of our campuses. Really brilliant guy. And so Mike, uh, just a really smart guy. He, he's an author. He's had several best-selling books. In fact, one of his books is now uh, in the running with several companies, Paramount and Amazon uh, Pictures are both essentially bidding for one of his books to turn into a movie. I mean, the guy's pretty sharp. I mean, that's like, wow, I don't have any books doing that. How about you? That's, that's pretty crazy, right? He's a really smart guy. But you know what he said? He said, when I was in junior high and when I was in high school, I thought I was dumb. He said, because when he was in elementary school, one of his teachers told him that he was stupid. And then he had a brother who constantly told him he was dumb. And so many of us had siblings that did that, you know, just, just being typical brother or sister, just running us down. So he really believed that until one day he ended up going to a military academy when he was in high school. And on, upon entry, they make you take an IQ test. He took the test and he was shocked at the results. He had to check it several times because they stopped him and said, do you know how good you did this? He was like, no, there's no way I'm not smart. He actually had the fourth highest IQ grade on that test in the 150 year history of that military academy. 
He was smart the whole time, but you didn't believe it. How many of us have believed that we're not smart, that we're not good at something, that we can't do something? For years, I was in remedial reading classes all through uh, junior high, well, elementary, junior high, by the time I finally realized I was even in them. But I just thought, they keep pulling me into special classes. I must be really special. <laughs> so they would take me into another class for reading that. Well, we want you to read this. You know, like, okay. And so I'd go read. I just thought, this is cool. No one else can do this with me. I'm just like the special one. And so I would slip in, and I apparently was special. And so... They would take me into the classroom in elementary and junior high. Even into high school, I was in remedial reading classes, for real. I, was, I would look around. I was like, wow, I look nothing like everyone here. And I realized it's because all the students in there were at-risk students but me. And I was like, wow. And half of the students in there weren't even trying. And I was on the same level they were. And I was trying. I'm like, this is not a good sign, right? And so, but something in me, some, for some reason, that didn't stick with me. Thank God. I had parents that told me that I was somebody and I was going to do something, that God had a destiny for my life. Thank God. And so and today, I've, I'm, we're right now, my book agent now has my fourth book in his hands, and he's pitching that deal right now. And uh, I've had three books published, and one of them is a best-selling book. So a guy with remedial reading skills is now an author. So don't tell me you can't do something. You can. I write great books. I can't read them, but I write great books. I mean, so, so anyways, okay, so... So whatever you're not enough, would you just write, I'm not, and whatever it is you think you're enough, right? And now once you've got that sentence written down, then what I want you to cross out two words. I want you to cross out not and enough. So where it said, I'm not smart enough, cross out not and enough. Now it just says, I'm smart. It says, I'm not tall enough, just, just cross out what? Not enough, so I'm tall. And so somewhere, some country, you're tall. <laughs> the point is this, is that oftentimes we're comparing ourselves to other people and we'll always feel like we don't measure up. I want to encourage you not to do that. That is a recipe for disaster. You are enough. God made you the way you are for a reason. Quit running yourself down and don't let others do it either. You have greatness inside of you. You really do. So I just want to encourage you with that. And so, you know what? This is really scary. I was doing some research on this and, and uh, I, I asked around and, and I, I compiled a list of people's lies that they bought into. And what consistently came up in these lies shocked me was how many grown adults said, I just, I know I can never measure up to my parents' expectations. These are grown adults. I'm not talking about kids, grown adults. It just made me think, wow, if those parents could read what their kids wrote, their adult children wrote, they'd break their hearts. Because if you're like me, I love my kids. I would never want them to think they're not enough, right? But I think what happens as parents is that we don't realize it, but we're trying to improve our children. We think, I'm trying to raise them right. I'm trying to improve the areas they're weak in. And there, there's a place for that. But if there's not a backdrop of consistent encouragement behind that, then all they hear is, I need to change this. I need to change that. I could never be good enough for you, Dad. I could never be good enough for you, Mom. So honestly, when I read this, it, it convicted me so much. One of my kids in particular, I have three children. I texted one of my children, well, the other two I don't love as much, but the one I love, <laughs> that was a joke. I was just kidding. I love all three. I, have all, I love all three most days. Anyways, but I text one of my kids that I knew that this was a sensitive area to them. And I text them. I said, I just want you to know, I love you. You are awesome. And I know I'm on you about a couple things, but I want to tell you, you are great. And I love you as you are. I'm so proud of you. I just got a text back and said, thanks, Dad. That means the world. 
You know, the truth is we, we forget as parents, we're trying to build our kids up and, and we're, trying to, you know, we're trying to better them. But be careful in your bettering them that you don't start to think like, I just, the way I am is not okay. When the way you are is more than okay. God made you. Sure, we all have shortcomings. Sure, we all need to work on certain things. Every one of us. But God already says, you're blessed, you're mine, I love you, I chose you, you're destined for great things. That's what God already says about you. So don't believe the lie that says, I'm not enough. The second lie that we fall for is, is also very insidious. It's simple, but we fall for it. It's this, I can't do it. That's the second lie we fall for, I can't do it. We all have some area of our life that we think, oh, I just, I just can't do that. What is it for you that's an I can't do it area? When the Bible says you can do all things through Christ, right? Now, don't, don't confuse this with, thing, with him saying you can do everything. It doesn't mean you can just do anything and everything. No, we weren't created doing anything and everything. I don't think I'm going to make the NBA. I just don't, mainly because I'm 46 and six foot nothing, but, and I have zero ball skills. But the point is, is that I can do everything God led, leads me to do. I can do everything God destined me to do. Does that make sense? So when we say you can do anything, you can do anything that God puts in front of you. doesn't mean you can just do, you're not supposed to do everything. We're not Superman, we're not Superwoman, we're not supposed to do everything in the whole world, but the things that God calls you to do, you can do. And so you can do it. It says in Deuteronomy 3, verse 18, it says, and I commanded you at that time, saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. You know, God has already given you promises. God's already told you in your heart things that you're going to have, you're gonna own, and you're going to do. And so if he's already told you, then there's your authority to do it, and there's your ability to do it. Just go do it now. He basically tells Joshua, right, and the children of Israel, go get the promised land, it's already yours. It's already yours. So there's something in you that God's placed in you. He's saying it's already yours. God told me this church was already mine. And by mine, I mean that I was gonna be a leader here. It's his church, obviously. Everything, everything we have is the Lord's. I recognize that. But God told me this church existed before I even moved here and it was even here. I went off the faith belief that this would happen and here it is today. Let's give God some glory because of his goodness. But you need to know, I had to function off the fact that if God called me to do it, then I can do it. We need to function off of that concept. It says in scripture in Matthew 19, 26, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. It's possible. Whatever it is that you say, I can't do it, I can't fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, I just can't, ah, whatever it is, just fill in that blank. Don't let that belief stop you. You can, you can do this. I know people that literally, well, I just, I can't pass organic. I just can't pass that class. I, I just, I can't pass biology. I just can't pass algebra. I just can't pass accounting one. I just can't do it. And so they have all these hours of school and no degree because they, they're convinced I just can't pass that one class. If you take that class three or four times, you'll pass it. You will, I mean, just sheer memory, you'll pass it. You're like, I mean, last time I marked it this way and I got it wrong, this way I'm gonna mark it the other way. I'm gonna get it right. <laughs> I mean, you'll eventually pass it. Do you know how many people I know that have studied and, and taken the bar exam and failed and failed and failed and finally passed? You think all these attorneys everywhere just passed that class, that, no, that test? No, they failed it many times before and they finally passed it. You think all real estate agents just immediately passed a real estate exam? No, they failed it over and over and over again and then they finally passed it. That's very common, it's very normal. Doctors study for their boards, fail, 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 finally pass. That's very common. And so please don't think that, well, if I don't hit it the first time out of the park, then I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure if you fail. You're a failure when you quit attempting. You can do it. You can. 
Don't give up. Don't think that you can't do it. Oh, I could never be successfully married because I've gone through a divorce. Oh yeah, like there's no examples of that. Of people who've gone through a divorce have successful marriages afterwards. There's tons of examples of that everywhere. People who've had failed relationships that then turn it around and have great, happy, thriving marriages now. So don't think that you can't do it. You can. Just because you've Failed doesn't mean you are done. Doesn't mean you are cooked. God still has a plan for you. It says in Genesis 1.28, I love the message translation, puts it this way. God blessed them, speaking of God's people. And he said this, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Does that sound like someone's supposed to sit back and be a wallflower? No, God's saying, go for it. You can do this. God may have brought you here just so I could tell you that God is saying on his authority that I called you to do it. I gifted you to do it. I put it in your heart. Go do it. You can do it. You can do it. Don't believe for a second that you can't do it when God says that you can. But you know what we do? We come to a message like this and we hear this and we go, oh man, I hope my kids are listening. Oh, I hope my spouse is listening. No, God's speaking to you. You need to come, don't, don't hear this when I say this. I want you to hear what I'm gonna say because it's gonna sound wrong, but it's not. Okay, listen, you need to come into God's house selfishly. Here's what I mean by that. God has a word for me today. This truth is my truth. God says, I can do it. I can do it. Not just everyone else. You know what we do? We think, oh, this is such a good word. Everyone needs to use it. And I know this works for you, but oh, not for me, but it'll work for you. Somehow we exclude ourselves in the things that God can do. When God's saying, no, this is for you. If you keep coming to church consistently, I am constantly telling you through God's word what you can do it, that you have greatness, that you are destined for this and destined for that, and you can do these things and you need to step up. And some of you walk in and I'm trying to fill your cup up and you keep turning it over on me. Turn your cup over in faith and believe the very things we're teaching because it's for you, not your neighbor. It's for you. You can do this. This is important because, you know what we tend to do? Did I lose my notes? Did I lose my notes? Oh, no, there they are. Sorry. I was like, I was like, whoa, I can do this. <laughs> I want to challenge you with this. Quit protecting and defending your lie. We defend our lies, don't we? No, I'm not smart. Well, look at this grade. You did good. No, but that, that's just, that's an anomaly. I'm not smart. Quit defending your lie. Why don't you step back? If you'll just pull your hands off your life for a moment, then let me just beat it up for you. Quit defending it. Quit protecting the lie you've lived under and let me beat that thing up for you. Turn your cup over, get filled with the faith because here's the thing. You know why some of us don't really wanna believe we can do it? Because if we can do it, then we should do it. Well, if I actually believe that, then that would take away my excuse. Yep. See, lies are convenient. It's convenient to think, well, I'm a Smith and all Smiths are bad with money. So I might as well go to the mall. <laughs> See how convenient that is? Well, I just, I can't lose weight, so pass the, the bluebell, right? <laughs> it's convenient to believe you can't lose weight. It's convenient to think you're bad with money. It's convenient to think, I'm just not spiritual, I can't be close to God, so let's go party. It's convenient. It's convenient to say, I just can't overcome this, so I mean, hey, I mean, you know, I just, it's just the world we live in. It's really tough today, so ha, I can't do it. So I might as well just do whatever I want. And so it's convenient. We hold on to our lives because we are lying to ourselves. We know there's something deep within us that can do it. We're just scared to finally become who God called us 
to be. Well, I want to be humble. No, no, you know how arrogant it is for you to sit with your gifts inside of you as if you're in control of that, that God empowered you and gifted you and put visions and dreams in you, and you're so arrogant and say, no, I'm just going to sit on all that. I know you put it in me, God, and you equipped this whole world, and you created this whole place for me to do these things, but I'm just going to do what I want. Oh, so you're God now? So you're going to think that you're going to use the word humility and say, oh, I'm going to be humble, not do anything big. No, that's the most arrogant thing you can do is to sit on your gifts. That is arrogant and narcissistic for you to sit around and think, I'm just going to Netflix myself to death and miss out on what God called me to do. I'm tired of people watching other people live their dreams and not live their own. Quit living a lie. You can do it. You can do it. You have more in you. But we want to believe that lie because it's convenient. But you can do it. There's a guy named Jonathan Brown. Uh, Jonathan was a a very good soccer player. He went on scholarship to the University of Kentucky on soccer, but he really wanted to play football. And uh, he played football in high school and he, he wanted to kick. He was really, he just had incredible gift to kick uh, balls. And, and so he was amazing with a soccer ball, but he said, I want to kick a football. And so he went uh, to a friend and said, do you think I can do this? He said, yeah. And he said, well, I want to, I want to kick in the NFL. And they were like, so wait a minute, what'd you say? He's like, yeah, I want to kick in the NFL. I really feel led to do that. So I feel like God has gifted me and I want to do this. And his friend was like, yeah, you've never kicked a ball in high school or college, and you, you just said the NFL. He's like, I know. So then he, on his own, by faith, transferred to the University of Louisiana, uh, sorry, of, of Louisville, because he knew they had a better football program, but he transferred in the soccer program so he could get to the football program, because he said, no offense, but I knew University of Kentucky, at least at this time, was not really good at football. They have actually improved a lot. But So he, he transferred to University of Louisiana. Oh, I keep saying that, sorry, Louisville. And he was on the soccer team, but then he went and talked to the football coach and said, I'd like to try out to become a kicker. And the coach is like, well, you can, but we have a really great kicker. I mean, the guy's, you know, really highly ranked, and, I mean, we don't really need a kicker. And he's like, well, would you just let me try out? He said, sure. So we tried out, and he was good, and they said, okay, we'll let you be our backup kicker. So he made the team as a backup kicker. His scholarship was still in soccer, so he basically played dual sports. And then eventually, uh, it became a little difficult on his schedule, so he had to just do one over the other, so he ended up in soccer. But then by his senior year, he wanted to, to, to be a kicker so bad that he, he said, I'll just do this. And so that's what he did, but he never made it onto the field. The kicker, the leading kicker, the star kicker, kicked every game until they had both until they both graduated. So he never, not even once, kicked a ball in a collegiate game, high school or college, but then he decided to go out for the NFL. Never kicked a ball. So he just asked the coach on pro day at the University of Louisville, got it right. Uh, he said, can I come to pro day? And the coach is like, I mean, sure. I'm not going to stop you. I appreciate your faith. Appreciate your, your drive. Sure, go ahead. So he began to drive nine hours a week to go, a round trip to go to um, a place in Louisiana where there was a kicker that was really good, that would train him. He said, I'll work with you. So he began to work with him. He did this for two years straight. Eventually, uh, he comes to Pro Day. Uh, Pro Day went okay. He did not do that well, though, but he eventually kept working at it, working at it two years in. He is now the kicker for the San Francisco 49ers, and he never kicked in high school or college. It's amazing. Look up his story. It was amazing. On Yahoo News, he was talking about, I just knew God wanted me to do this. I love this faith. Talking to a secular publishing company, he's like, no, God led me. I knew God was in this. See, sometimes you just have to believe in yourself. God believes in you, so why don't you believe in you? You have greatness in you, you can do it. Quit telling yourself that you can't do it when you actually can. Years ago, we're trying to do the campus thing, and I finally got a mentor in this area, and, and uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle mentors me in, in the area of campuses and other areas. 
And he said, why don't you figure out how you can do campus is really good 20 minutes away. So we've done that now. And he said, okay, now once you do it 20 minutes away, really good, you can learn to do it two hours away. We're doing that right now in San Antonio. The building is underway, should be open late summer. And then after that, we can figure out how to do it two states away. And then once we do it two states away, what if we could do it two countries away? And after that, we're gonna do two planets away. That could be a little more difficult, but we're gonna work on that. The point I'm trying to say is this, is that if you're struggling in an area you think, I can't do it, you just need to go meet with someone who's already done it because they can show you how to do it. You know, you say, I just can't lose weight. There is someone fatter than you that now is skinnier than you. There's someone that was way bigger than you are right now, way far gone, that's in great shape now, right? That means you and I have no excuses. I was in the gym the other day with a couple of friends, and we were traveling, and, and uh, it was a hotel gym, and we're working out, and there was a lady there, and I'm guessing her age. I certainly didn't say this to her face. I'm not that dumb, but she, she had to be a, at least 70 to 75 years old. And she was, working, she was doing planks in front of us at 70-something. I finally couldn't take anymore. I went up to her and I said, ma'am, you leave us with no excuses. She said, you got to keep after it. And she just kept going. And I was like, Wow. The truth is we need to set aside our excuses. Quit defending your excuses and begin to defend your dream and go for it. God says you can do it. The devil says that you can't do it. The last one is very insidious as well. Ephesians 2, 8, 19 says this. It says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, the members of God's household. What does that mean? It says that we are members of God's household. We are not strangers. We are members. We are family. You and I are familia. That's what the Bible says. We're family. And so you know what that means? Number three, it means that we buy into the lie that says I'm not accepted and nobody cares for me, but that's not true. How many of us have fallen for that lie? Would you write that third lie down? The lie is I'm not accepted here or nobody cares for me. We buy into this lie at work. Nobody cares for me here. I'm not even accepted. I'm not even in the in crowd here. Wait, what are we in junior high again? You're there to go do a job, first of all. But I know people want to have friends. I get that. Maybe you just don't feel accepted. Ephesians 2.10 says this, God has made us what we are. He has created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works that he has prepared for us to do. There's something you're called to do and there's people you're called to do it with. Romans 12.5 says this, so we, numerous as we are, are one body in Christ, the Messiah, and individually we are part of one another, mutually dependent on one another. So I need you and you need me. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you need me and I need you. We need each other. I am accepted here. I was talking to a lady that's a part of our church. Her and her husband are amazing people. <clears throat> and we were talking about something else. There was a group of us uh, talking, working on a message that I was doing. And, and she was very vulnerable in this moment. I was surprised she even told us this. I was so grateful that she did. She said, Pastor Bill, I think in what you're talking about, you should know this, that a number of years ago, I would put our kids to bed and, uh, and she said, and, and after I put them in the bed, I would just like this voice in me would tell me that I don't matter. This voice would tell me that if I died tomorrow, no one would even miss me. That what I do just doesn't really count. Like, really? I mean, this is a sharp person. Great career, great mom. People look up to her. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. And she began to tear up as she told us how she just thought, I'm just insignificant. It doesn't matter. If I died tomorrow, no one would even miss me. No one cares for me. I was like, I was thinking, that's such a lie. She goes, well, I now know that. But at the time, it felt so real. I said, how'd you work through that? She said, you know, I was at Thanksgiving is where it kind of culminated finally. And I'm around all my family, 
brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, mom and dad, everybody's there. And I was watching, it's like I was watching them live life, but somehow I wasn't in it. By the way, do you know that's how doctors describe depression? That's like you're watching your life go by, but you're somehow not in it. That's why you feel like you don't really matter because you think somehow you could, you're already out of the equation when you're not. But we believe this lie. So I said, so what'd you do? I want you to hear very careful what she did. She said, I talked to my husband, and he said, honey, we need to go get you some help. So she said, so I went, I want you to hear this. In church, I want you to hear this. So she said, so I went to see a doctor. I talked to a doctor, talked to a counselor too, but I went to see a doctor, and a doctor prescribed me some medicine that really helped. I want you to hear that in church. It is okay that if you need to take something, take it. There's nothing wrong with that. But but I'm a person of faith and I believe in God. Yeah, I know, I do too. Believe in God while you go talk to a doctor. There's nothing wrong with that. So she began to get on some meds and she began to feel better. And then she began to get a bit of counseling and she began to really deepen her walk with God and get in the word daily more because she felt so bad she wouldn't open the word. And in eight months in, she asked her doctor under the supervision of, of a doctor, she said, I would like to try to wean myself off of the medicine. Are you okay with that? And the doctor said, yes, keep me posted on how you're doing, but yes. And so she did. And she hasn't taken the sense. And the victory is not in not taking medicine. The victory is that she's really better. This is important, guys. I am tired as a pastor of burying people who took their own life because they thought no one cared for them. And then I'm sitting there looking at someone who took their own life and there is a room full of hundreds of people that love them. So clearly they were living a lie. It's just not true. You are loved, just like you are. You're needed. People want you here. Do not believe this lie. There is a, an article about two people that both had something in common. Over 1,600 people have jumped off the San Francisco Bridge to their death. These two people had jumped off and somehow lived, and that just really doesn't happen. And so we never get to hear the post-death report on how they feel now, right, because they're, they're gone. But these two people both had the same story. Interesting, they both said that when they, when they let go of the side of the bridge and actually began to fall, in that instant, they regretted it. In that moment, they thought, I wanna live! They had to get to the point of death, and all of a sudden they went, oh, no, 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 this is not what I want. Don't get to that point. Choose to live now. I want to enter a season of prayer real quick, and I want to ask all of our campuses to bow your heads real quick. And I want you to, I'm just going to ask you right now, does you trust God and to trust your pastor right now? Because we're going to do something that may be something you've never done before. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if today you would be honest enough with me, vulnerable enough in the house of God to say, Pastor, honestly, I have feelings like that right now. Recently, I have had thoughts that I just don't matter and no one cares about me, that I could die tomorrow and I would not be missed. That's a lie. But even knowing it's a lie, we can still fall for it. So today, across all of our campuses, if you have fallen for that lie, if you find yourself thinking, I just don't matter, no one really cares for me, I'm gonna ask you to boldly slip your hand up right now. Would you do that? Thank you. Hands are going up all across our campuses. Would you please keep that hand up? Now I'm gonna ask you, I need your trust right now. I'm asking you, okay? 
I'm not gonna do anything you don't know about, so I just, before I do it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna warn you before I do it, but your hands are up. Thank you. Please keep your hands held high right now. Thank you for that. Thank you for telling us. Thank you for sharing that with me. With your hand up, before I do it, I'm gonna warn you, I am about to ask people to peek. And I'm gonna ask you before you dart your hand back down. Oh no, that's embarrassing. Please don't do that. How can we help you if you don't tell us? Please keep your hand held high. As your hand is held high, I want you to experience the love of God and the love of the family you're in right now to know that you are wanted, that you would be terribly missed, that God wants you here, you have a role to play. So will you keep your hand held high? I'm asking you to do that right now. And I'm now gonna ask people all across all of our campuses to go ahead and peek. Please keep your hand up. Would you do that for me? Thank you for the faith. Thank you. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Keep that hand up. Now, if you are sitting next to someone that has their hand up, would you reach your hand over and put it on them and let them know they are loved? And I want you to pray for them right now. You can move around. It's okay. We just wanna pray for you. Keep your hand held high. I want you to experience God's love right now. You are loved. You would be terribly missed. Please do not hurt yourself. Please do not think for a second you're not needed. If, please keep your hand held high. Do not put your hand down. Don't, don't, be, don't listen. Don't cooperate with the devil right now and slip your hand down. Oh, no one saw me. And then later you're going to go, see, I'm not cared for. No one even noticed. No, you didn't tell us. That's not fair. That's not fair. If you're hurting, you got to let us know. Keep your hand up. Some of you right now need to go ahead. You didn't raise it earlier, but you got to admit, okay, I, I do need help because I don't want to do something dumb. Please hold your hand high. We want to pray for you right now. As I see so many hands up, I gotta tell you, my heart breaks for you. This is why we're here. We wanna be the people of God, loving one another. We need each other. Please keep your hand up. And I'm gonna ask people to come around you right now. It's okay, Christians, you can do this. Would you just get up and go pray for someone right now if their hand's up? Would you do that? Just let them know right here. Someone needs to pray for this young lady right here. Would someone just do that and let them know they're loved right there? Would someone do that? All across all of our campuses, I see you at Padre Island. I see you right now in San Antonio. I see you at Rodfield, at Westside. Keep your hand held high. You are loved. Online, you know, well, no one's here. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you right now, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to put his hand upon you right now. You're not alone. You are loved. You're a part of a family. You just don't realize it. You're a part of a community of people that care for you. You are not alone. God loves you. We love you. You are wanted. You are accepted, you are needed, and now you are known. Please keep your hand held high as we just pray for you to tell you you are loved and you are needed. We care for you and God cares for you. Maybe you're not sitting by anybody right now, but why don't you just pray for them even if you see someone across the room. It's okay, just pray for them. Would you do that? It's one of the things I love about our church is that we actually believe the Bible when it says love one another. That we should actually care for one another. You thought you were just getting a sermon today. No, no, no. You're getting the power of God today to tell you face to face that he is saying to you, I love you. I created you. You have greatness in you. You're not to this or to that. You're not enough, this, not enough. Not true. Those are all lies. You are enough. God made you. You can do it. You are not limited. Do not let those lies hold you back any longer. Let's take a moment right now with her head bowed and her eyes closed. 
Some of you right now got your hands up, but you feel that hand on your shoulder? That's God saying, I love you. That's someone beside you saying, I care for you. I see you. You're not alone. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can pray right now. People are still praying. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to keep this up. But as they're praying, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can pray. You can receive him right now. You can pray this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sin on the cross. And then you rose again. I ask you to come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I am accepted and I am loved by you. I repent of my sins. I put you first place in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.